0: Uh, we'll be hearing today from Patrick Bondi from McMaster on when does data count as evidence, um, and he'll have a chance to respond after
1: uh, Sarah Kier-Prim from Aarhus University gives comments,
2: um, and then we'll open up for questions. Right, okay, well thank you Patrick for letting us read your paper, it's very interesting. So, um, some atheists argue that certain empirical features of evil are strong inductive evidence against theism. A feature stressed by William Rowe, for example, is the notion character of much suffering. So we can't really see any good being served by this suffering, and so the atheist infers there probably is no good being served by this suffering. And by a short further step, the atheist argues, there probably is no God. Such evils are often referred to as gratuitous evils, evils for which there are no all things considered sufficient reason for God to allow. Here I'll just refer to them as G-evils. On the handout you'll find um, Bondi's version of the evidential problem of evil. And against this reasoning some so-called sceptical theists employ an epistemic principles approach. So some applicable general principle, they argue, is not satisfied in the case of evil and theism. As Bondi notes, the sceptical theist attempts to block the inference from E1 to E2. So here, um, I'll ignore the fact that E2 is articulated as a probability claim and focus only on the modified claim E2 star that there are instances of G-evils in the world. And I'll do this for two reasons. One, it's simpler to evaluate. And two, it seems that this is the version that Bondi focuses on in his paper as well. So what we're really interested in here is whether or not we're entitled to the second premise, E2 star. We'll assume that we're entitled to the first premise, E1, but how about the second premise? And if entitlement is cashed out in terms of knowledge, the question becomes, do we know E2 star? Of course, that really depends on what conditions we have on knowledge. If we go for a sensitivity condition, it seems that E2 star can't be knowledge. So we take the belief, E2 star, that there are G evils, in the nearest possible world in which there are no G-evils, will I believe that there are G-evils? Yeah, um, because appearance will be exactly the same. So they believe ETU star is not sensitive, and so not knowledge. So Weikstra's cornea constraint seems, seems to have some relation to such a condition. And there's also mm. Bondi notes, it has been argued that since cornea resembles sensitivity theories of knowledge. It also falls prey to the same counterexamples that are posed to such theories. So Barney's suggestion is that we replace a sensitivity strategy with a safety strategy. And of course now the question is, if we have a safety condition on knowledge, do we know E2 star, So if for a moment we just leave Bondi's principle to the side and evaluate whether we can know that there are G-evils on a somewhat standard safety account. Um, On one account of safety, roughly along the lines of Williams since 2000, let's call it all safety, I believe P is safe if and only if in all closed possible worlds a person S doesn't believe P falsely. So on an, on an all-safety account, do we know E2 star, that is, do we know that there are G evils? Bondi's project here is to argue that no, we can't know that there are G evils, since the belief in E2 star is simply not all-safe. In order for this belief to be all unsafe, what is required schematically is that there is at least one world in which we believe that there are G-evils, but there are no actual G-evils. And what would this world be like? Well, presumably, it would be a possible world, among the close possible worlds, in which God exists, or at least that's Bundy's claim. But things appear in the same way. So, um, But it's my appearance, of course. It's just God, God allows for it to appear as if there are g-evils. So on Bondi's picture, but on a standard safety account, E2 stars all unsafe, just in case there is a close possible world in which God exists, but where Person S still believes E2 star because of the appearance claim E1. <coughs> um, but Bondi doesn't articulate his safety principle in terms of all safety but rather in terms of what I will call most safety. So still just leaving Bonnie's principle aside for the moment, let's have a look at whether we can know on a most safety condition that there are G evils. So, on a most safety condition, a belief P is safe if and only if in most close possible worlds. A person S doesn't believe P falsely. And again, of course, the question is, on a most safety account, do we know, E2 star, that there are due evils? And again, Bondi's answer would be no. They believe in E2 star is not safe. But here, when we go from an all safety account to a most safety account, what is required in order to make E2 star most unsafe is, by Bondi's claim, the postulation of the existence of God in not just one world, but in sufficiently many worlds where we have the appearance of G-evils, but no actual G-evils to make it the case that it's no longer in the most possible worlds where we have the appearance of G-evils and actual G-evils. So, E2 star is Most on safe, just in case there are sufficiently many close possible worlds in which God exists, but Person S still believes E two star because of the appearance claim in E one. So the first thing I'd like to point out here is that common to both of these safety accounts. Uh, In order to make the belief that there exist was evils unsafe is the need for the postulation of the existence of God in the range of close possible worlds. And that really seems to be question begging against the atheist who no doubt will insist that God doesn't exist in any of the close possible worlds. Um, So... So this is the assumption that you make, and we need to have God to, to exist in at least one of the possible worlds within the range of close possible worlds, but it, it seems that you're making a move that you don't really require to make, so it's not really a necessary assumption for you to, to make in order to evaluate the safety of, the, of a belief that God exists in a close possible world. So rather, all that's required is that if you go to the closest worlds, and among these there is one possible world in which we have the appearance of G-evils, but in fact there are no G-evils, then your belief is not safe. We don't have to add that the reason for there being no G-evils is that God exists in that world. So. It's not required that we add a reason for why the belief some safe. So you could go for this weaker claim, um, but here it seems that we're just pushing the problem because the theorist is going to say, "Well, in, in that close range of possible worlds, why are not some worlds? Why aren't there some worlds in which we have?" <coughs> No, no G evils, but we have the appearance of G evils. Um, and then the atheist is going to respond, well, such a, such a world is not close. And then the theist and the atheist could just keep arguing over which worlds are close. Um, if we look at Bondi's principle, this is adapted from a particular account of safety uh, called basis relative safety, which it which is cashed out in terms of most safety. So this principle Bondi names the subjective access to basis relative safety principle, Sabers, which says some data D can only count as evidence for the truth of the proposition P for a subject S, provided that it's reasonable for S to believe that in most close possible worlds in which S believes P on the basis of D, P is true. And a natural question that comes to mind is, of course, what is this reasonable for us to believe requirement? Um, if Bundy had formulated his Sabre's principle to resemble most safety, it would have looked more like the following Sabre's star. Some data D can only count as evidence for the truth of P, only if in most close possible worlds in which S believes P on the basis of D, p is true. And the relevant data here in connection with the evidential problem of evil, is of course, the appearance claim in E one. And what Saber's star says is that E one, the appearance claim, can only be evidence for the truth of E two star. If in most close possible worlds in which S believes E2 star on the basis of E1, E2 star is true. But bondi Saber's principle is relevantly different. Here, E1 can only be evidence for E2 star if it's reasonable for S to believe that in most close possible worlds in which S believes E2 star on the basis of E1, E2 star is true. So, what does reasonable belief amount to here? What does it mean to reasonably believe something? Since we are in a safety framework, one suggestion might be that a belief is reasonable just in case that it's most safe. So, on this picture, if belief one is E2 star and belief two is that B1 is most safe, then um, the reasonableness requirement would amount to something along the lines of we're permitted to be one as a premise in our argument, just in case our belief be, be too safe. And it's, it's not really clear to me <clears throat> why we should accept such a principle that makes us entitled to a premise in an argument only if we satisfy some kind of higher order safety requirement and further it, it's not clear to me that bundy <clears throat> has convincingly argued that we do not satisfy such a higher order safety requirement with respect to e2 star <coughs> Um, Okay. Um, So, last thing. So, another thing that strikes me as a bit odd in Bundy's paper is that in the proposed answer to the challenge posed by scepticism, it's suggested that a sceptical interpretation of the available data can be disregarded on the assumption that a sceptical interpretation renders a worse explanation of the data than does a non-skeptical interpretation. It's not really obvious why the same line of response shouldn't apply in the case of the sceptical theist interpretation of the data meant to block the move from E1 to E2 star. So, normally, it makes somewhat sense to say that the following two beliefs are not sensitive. One, the belief that I'm not a brain in a vat, and two, they believe that there are G evils. And further, normally it makes sense to say that one is safe, which does make safety, in some sense, a more anti-sceptic premise than sensitivity. And it seems that Bondi does conceive one to be safe. That is, if one is safe, what's the reason for insisting that two is not safe? <clears throat> And <clears throat> if Bondi insists that it's question begging to assume that two is safe, why is it not question begging for him to assume that one is safe? Does he feel that he's somehow in a different position with regard to the skeptical hypothesis than he is with regard to the question of whether there are g evils? If yes, then why? <laughs> um, and. Will your explanation of what reasonable belief is be able to account for what is going on here? <laughs> thank you.
3: Okay, and now Patrick will have five minutes to respond. Uh, five
4: minutes, is it? Okay, you might have to cut me off. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so, thank you for the. the comments that's extremely helpful and I intend to take them into account in revising the paper uh, so I just have a, a few things to say uh, responses and clarifications uh, and I'll start with the last thing uh, which was which was that so you've got you know the claim okay I'm a brain in a vat <coughs> insensitive uh, sorry I'm not a brain in a vat insensitive but it's Plausible to, to think that it's actually safe, right? And then you've got a. It seems like you've got an analogous case with the with the the belief that there are no G evils, right? Uh, at least on the atheist's account, because the atheist thinks there are no close God-occupied possible worlds, right? So there are no close possible worlds in which um, there appear to be G evils, but there are not. So it looks like you've got an analogous case. So you should treat them in the same way. Uh, and I'm okay with with. With that, I think Uh, only, only I I would go the other way. I I would not say it it is not question begging to say that there are no close God-occupied possible worlds. Rather, I would say it's question begging against the skeptic to say you're not a brain in a vat. You know, most of us just don't mind begging the question in that way, right? But you know, if someone says, "Ah, you're a brain in a vat," the typical response is just not to take them seriously right? rather than trying to argue uh, because obviously you're going to adduce reasons and, and, and the, the defender of the brain in the vat hypothesis is going to say these, these are in fact question-begging reasons. Uh, so our, our typical answer is to say we're going to ignore that. But when, when it comes to the question of does God exist, right? it's not like there are no defenders of this, this claim. There are in fact... You know, Hundreds of millions, been billions. I suppose. Uh, so maybe we shouldn't beg the question in this way. Uh, so that's that's. I think that's that's the point. I don't think I made that point very very clearly in the paper. So uh, thanks for making me draw it out. Um, okay. A couple other things. All safety and most safety. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's a number of different ways to formulate safety. Um, and I picked most safety as opposed to all safety because it's a slightly weaker principle. You can still hang on to most safety uh, even in the face of cases like the garbage chute case where, I mean, I think it's pretty plausible to say, you know, you've, you've got your bag of garbage and it's, you think it fell down to the bottom of the chute. But, you know, the world in which the construction team was a little bit sloppy and there's a nail sticking out and the bag gets caught, I think that's an extremely close possible world. Uh, I mean someone just had to fail to nail in a, a nail very well. So it it's, doesn't require much change to get to that possible world. So, so when you've got the belief that your bag is in the bottom of the chute, <clears throat> you know, there is a close possible world in which your belief is false. So it, it, that belief fails to meet an all-safety condition, but it meets a most-safety condition. So uh, that's why I picked most safety. I think you can just hang on to it in the face of more objections. That's all. Um... Okay, and if I have, do I have any more time?
5: Yeah,
4: you have two minutes. Oh, good, okay. <clears throat> That's just enough. And then, okay, on the difference between sabers and sabers star, so that, this is picking up on uh, an assumption, probably uh, a bad assumption that, that I made, which is, okay, when I'm talking about evidence, uh, what I'm interested in is... The evidence that a person is entitled to take to be evidence for a claim, and so you can have you can have you know maybe two different senses of, of evidence you've got evidence where you've got simply data that confirm a hypothesis, and then you've got data which confirm a hypothesis and which a person is entitled to take to confirm the hypothesis. but you know these aren't always going to coincide. you can have data that in fact, confirm a hypothesis, but you don't recognize, or for some reason it's not reasonable for you to take these data to confirm the hypothesis, right? Uh, and so what I'm most interested in is the case where you're entitled to take the, the data to uh, confirm the hypothesis. <clears throat> and so that's why Sabres is, is formulated in terms of what's reasonable uh, to believe, about data and, and, and hypotheses as opposed to simply what data do support hypotheses. Um, and and, and there, There's a recent paper by Wickstra and, and Perrin where they draw this distinction a lot more clearly, uh, which, is, which is helpful. So they say, so cornea is in fact a restriction on what data you're entitled to take to be evidence for a hypothesis. And then you've got a more basic principle, which they call core, which is just a restriction on what data are evidence or or do confirm a hypothesis. So uh, I'm trying to make this clear because in the paper I just talk about when data is evidence. And when I say that, I mean when a person is entitled to take data to support a hypothesis, so a sort of subjective kind of evidence. Um, and I'll just stop there, and we can
0: mm-hmm. chat. Okay. <laughs> so we'll do a hand for a question and a finger for a follow-up. Brian?
6: Um, did you, uh, so most safety is going to run into problems with lottery cases. So like uh, you're uh-huh. going to be able to know that your ticket won the lottery, um, uh-huh. even though you know, most most possible worlds are ones per. It loses. Sorry, to yeah. You know that you're to get lost. Um, uh, that's. I mean, that's a quick point, though. I was thinking, like, one thing you could say, rather than trying to argue that, like, because I was kind of convinced that, um, yeah, like, if if God doesn't exist, then all nearby possible worlds are ones where God doesn't exist, and hence, uh, insofar as there are evils, they're they're fortuitous. In um, fact, maybe you could like push a line which says that. Uh, so there's some literature in this case of the skeptic and like Moore's. More as alleged proof uh, that he's not a brain or or whatever. Um, that like uh, this, this transmission failure stuff. So I guess the idea is roughly like um, there's something wrong with an argument if it like doesn't transmit justifications. So like the only if um, uh, if you wouldn't have justification for believing the premises, or you, you wouldn't know the premises unless the conclusion were true. So you could argue that like um, you know. If there weren't a god, or sorry, if the conclusion of the evidential problem of the evil argument were false, uh, so that God did exist, then you wouldn't know the premises like that. Right. So yeah. I think maybe maybe that's a line. But I thought, yeah, I, I kind of agree that like if there's if God doesn't exist. The, the arguments perfectly sound, um, and 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 premises are known. And um. yeah, yeah.
4: <clears throat> okay. Thank you. Uh, on the lottery case, that's okay because I only mean this to be a necessary, not a sufficient condition for uh, when you're entitled to believe okay. something. So, so I'm although I mean, asking. like one of the main purposes of safety, I thought was was uh, to like
6: get the lottery. I mean, I mean, you could do it another way, but I thought that was like. Well,
4: it's to get the lottery. But it's also to I mean, I don't know, rule out other kinds of cases. I think other kinds of cases that sensitivity just can't handle. Um, but lottery, lottery being one of them. <coughs> Um, okay, but uh, uh, failure of transmission, thank you for the suggestion, uh, because I think, yes, the, the line I, want, I do want to push is that the, the atheist argument is question-begging, but question-begging arguments, I mean, <sighs> it's really hard to nail down exactly when an argument is question-begging, uh, you know, in, in what kind of context, and, and just what is it that's going wrong in a, a question begging argument? And what makes the most sense to me is to say that in a question begging argument, it's one where transmission, uh, sorry, justification fails to transmit across a known entailment, because the, you know, you're presupposing the truth of the conclusion, right? So uh, that's a helpful way to cast it, I think. Yeah. Okay. And if everyone could put their hands
7: up. So I'm a bit worried about how uh, Sabres handles evidence for propositions that uh, that don't actually warrant believing the propositions in question. So um, suppose I'm in a community of uh, a million people, and the way things are supposed to work is you know, everyone gets one ticket for uh, a fair lottery. But uh, this guy I know, Shifty Bob. Uh, Took like five hundred thousand tickets, put his name on all of them, and then you know dumped them into the uh, the big basin of lotto tickets. It seems like that's pretty darn good evidence that uh, the Chifty Bob is going to win. Um, but I, I certainly don't think that in in most worlds in which that's the case, he wins. I mean, he wins about a third of them. So. Um,
4: okay. Hmm, yeah, that's a problem for, uh, I would have to, oh, I'm worried I'll have to gerrymander the, the identification of the close possible worlds. That could be a problem. Yeah. Okay.
3: Um, Alex, follow up. I wonder if maybe the way to handle this is just to, to uh, distinguish between two senses of uh, the locution count as evidence for the truth. One is like a, merely confirming, uh, whereas it just sort of increases the probability without raising above the like, a threshold. And then the other is like a threshold sense where like, I think Carnap made this distinction. So uh, there's like the, what I, what I call incremental evidential support versus like threshold evidential support. I think what Sabres needs to be put in terms of is threshold evidential support. Because what, what you want with E2 is that, um, the uh, probability of there being instances of G in the world, G evil in the world is significantly about 0.5. Right. So maybe that's one way to handle it, this kind of objection, without having to be really jerry that,
4: Okay, that, that, that could work. And that would be in the spirit of the original cornea principle, because, <clears throat> you know, Wickstra and, and company wanted it to be a restriction on levering evidence as opposed to mere increasing the probability, right? So you're changing from one... All-out state of belief or disbelief or suspension to another. So, Can yeah. Okay. A couple follow ups Brian. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah that, that seems exactly right. That was basically what I was going to suggest. In. I mean, it's also not too hard to jigger, um, jigger around with like sabers to get the uh, mm-hmm. the incremental evidence version of it, right? Just, I mean, maybe you need just some like some measure of possible worlds or just something but, like just have it that like a higher proportion of uh, the D worlds are or are the ones where of the worlds where S believes P on the base, or well believes P on the basis of D, or assigns a higher probability to P on the basis of D, a higher proportion of those are P worlds than in the, the worlds where that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, just do things in terms of comparative proportions of mm. worlds which are P worlds.
4: Okay. okay. okay.
7: So uh, I'm still a bit worried about the principle. So even if we we're formulating things in terms of um, sort of evidence that makes the proposition worthy of belief. Um, and the way I'm, I'm hearing belief right now um, is something that can be sort of cashed out in terms of, say, uh, credence above 0.5. If you want to take exception to that, we can see how it goes. Uh, but if we, if we think about it in terms of credence above 0.5, so credence above 0.5 only if it's reasonable to think that in most of the close worlds, P is true, uh, it looks like there's a, a sort of choice point. So um, is it the case that... Um, one is rationally obliged to believe that the uh, the measure of close worlds in which P is true is going to be equal to your, your credence that P. So like, if your credence in P is 0.7, then you, sh- you should think that 70% of the close worlds are P worlds. Um, if, if not, if that constraint isn't there, then it looks like there can be cases in which the Sabres principle is false. Because you know, I could have uh, credence of uh, above 0.5, but it could be unlikely that um, most of the worlds are P worlds, most of the close by worlds are P worlds. Because suppose you know, in, in some of the situations, absolutely all of the close by worlds are P worlds, but then in other situations, in most of the situations, just under half of the close-by worlds are p-worlds. So things are sort of gerrymandered. Uh, in that case, you know, it's not reasonable for me to think that most of the nearby worlds are p-worlds, but you know, x-hypothesis, it's reasonable for me to have credence above 0.5. If on the other hand, we say, no, if you have credence in p, then the measure of the local worlds, the nearby worlds that are p-worlds, um, is, is whatever your credence is, then it looks like Sabres just amounts to the principle that it's reasonable to have credence x and p if and only if it's reasonable to have credence X and P, which strikes me as being a true principle, but not particularly mm-hmm. helpful. Uh,
4: so when you say, you know, near, not the at the end, but near the end, you said, if there are, you know, you've got the one case where you've got all the nearby worlds are P worlds, and then you've got another case where just under half the nearby worlds are p-worlds. So you're, what's reasonable for you to believe is that just under half the worlds are p-worlds. Uh, I mean, I don't think that follows, right? Uh, because it might be the case that you know, just under half of the nearby worlds are p-worlds, but it's not necessarily going to be the case that it's reasonable for you to think so, right, in the case of misleading evidence or something like that. right?
7: So, uh, again, so I was, was assuming okay, uh, so? belief as... Credence above 0.5. Okay. And if you say, suppose there's, you know, there's Credence yeah. 0.25, that just all of the worlds nearby are going to be p worlds, okay. and then it's you know, 0.75, that um, you know, just a little bit more than a third of them are p worlds, something like that. So you're not, you're not believing that most of the nearby worlds are p worlds. Right. Nonetheless, you know, that's a way of cashing out Credence above 0.5, that p, that looks. Good. So it's reasonable to believe that they. Okay.
5: Just a little. I mean, the 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 threshold idea and the levering evidence idea aren't the same idea. I mean, something that takes you from point, uh, you know, one percent to forty nine percent is can be levering, but it doesn't. It's not going to be satisfy this condition. I mean, Levering is just a relabeling of... It's just is relabeling of a familiar Bayesian notions, but when you, you know, however you label it, the way he's thinking is something that takes you from close to zero to close to 0.5, and his lingo takes you from yeah. a square state to a square state. Yeah. But it doesn't, it's, it doesn't put you in a situation where you think most... Right. That's true, that's true. his idea was different, but it's just that we can't assimilate the uh-huh. the two ideas, so okay. it can be extraordinarily powerful evidence without taking you into because it could be that you you started in a state where you thought it was extraordinarily unlikely yeah well but I mean you can you can just
4: be. Which yeah, from a square state to a square state, you can just—I thought what you meant by your thresholds was you have a threshold for being in a square state. That's right. right. I, I'll, so, I'll...
5: but something that <clears throat> takes you from yeah. uh, close to zero to close to 0.5 is yeah. is going to going to be extraordinarily powerful evidence. Is going to be levering in, in this lingo, uh, but isn't going to satisfy this condition because when you shift to point, you know, to point five, you're not going to... I see. Okay.
4: So that's a pretty good objection to the principle. i will have to take that into account. Thanks. Mm-hmm.
8: Okay. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to clarify a bit in the dialectical situation and, and maybe follow on the suggestion about warrant transmission. So. So, suppose we start with this argument by deities the saying, there are gratitude's evils. If there are gratitude's evils, there is no God, so there is no God. <coughs> now, Thijs could just tolerance the argument and say, look, I know there is a God, oh, look, there is a God. So, there are no gratitude's evils, so your premise is false. So, that's one simple <coughs> position. <coughs> now, there is a second position, which is, you don't know your premise because there is a close word where there is a God. And it seemed to be the the position you went for at the point in the paper, but uh, this position I feel like, well, if you're in position that's good enough, I mean, if you're in good enough position to assert that there is a close God word, then you're pretty much good to assert that there is a God. So I don't see the distinctive advantage of this position. And then there is a third position, which is, uh, you know, maybe there's a close God word, maybe there's not. But uh, you can't go with a premise that, uh, that you wouldn't know unless there was no closed God word. So that's sort of weaker position. I'm not saying that there is closed God word, but you can't rely on a premise whose knowledge uh, would entail uh, uh, that, uh, that there is no God. But this weaker position is sort of a general recipe to block any deductive argument. <coughs> like uh, you know, uh, if if I meet the coffee cup denier and the coffee cup denier says there's no coffee cups, and then I say look that's a coffee cup, if that's a coffee cup then there are coffee cups, And you say oh, well look you're using a premise whose knowledge entails that there are coffee cups, uh, so you can't you can't use this premise this is question begging, so it looks like this this general principle is. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a principle that, that is uh, massively applicable. So another suggestion was to say uh, this is an argument where transmission fails. But we need a characterization of transmission failure which doesn't uh, extend to the coffee cup argument, for instance. Saying the coffee cup argument <coughs> doesn't transmit because if the conclusion is false, you don't know the premise.
4: Okay. So first of all, I think the skeptical theist response is the third of those responses, right? I think that's what they want to do. And yes, uh, one of the main objections to skeptical theism is that it just entails skepticism outright. So that's a fair objection. Um, I'm not sure quite what to say in response to that, except that when you meet someone who's just going to be a skeptic, there isn't a whole lot you have to say to them by way of argument, right? Because, uh, you know, your arguments against them are all going to be questioned, in the sense you're going to be assuming, you know, when you're the coffee cup guy. Yeah, that's a coffee cup. It presupposes, you're, you're already assuming that there are coffee cups in order for that to be one, right? So someone who denies that there are coffee cups, you know, unless you can browbeat them into just accepting You know, that's a coffee cup. Um, pointing out th- that as a coffee cup isn't going to take them anyway towards accepting there are coffee cups.
8: So if somebody right. holds that P, then mm-hmm. any deductive argument that not P is questioned again? Um, because it's already assuming that not P. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that might be a consequence. Maybe that's a problem. Or, but on the other hand, I don't know because I mean, there's a number of people who, who just say question begging, you know, isn't always a problem. It's only a problem in certain kinds of dialectical situations, right? So, I mean, my own inclination is to want to say question begging arguments are always bad, uh, but you combine that with, with the with with the case or with with your claim that you know you can apply. You can turn any argument into, a, you know, a dialectical situation where you have someone who's being a skeptic, you know I mean, I suppose that's true <laughs> I guess that's just true. And, and you can't argue with these people. That's just what we end up with. Yes. Yeah
3: So I mean there are skeptics and there are skeptics right. um, yeah. and, and I mean there are like really entrenched skeptics uh, like certain skeptics about climate change say that uh, you know you present them lots of evidence and they're just going to kind of accommodate that into into their skepticism or or reject it as something that you know don't don't have a right to to use as evidence or something like that. But on the other hand, there's like ordinary skeptics, you know, people who, uh, you know, so so I mean, the no coffee cups view. It's hard to imagine a non-silly person holding that. Uh, but somebody might have thought, oh gosh, maybe there's no coffee cups. Um, and, and hold that in the sort of, or, or even you know, believe that, but believe it in the sort of way they're, they're still responsive to the ordinary kinds of evidence that we might have, uh, like, for example, seeing a coffee cup. Um, and so it's, not, it's certainly not going to be that, you know, just the fact that the position entails that, uh, that you don't know certain things uh, means that it's going to be question begging against uh, the person who holds that position. Because there might be a very reasonable person who holds that position. And there's, there's lots of stuff that is you know the negation of which is entailed by what they believe. But nonetheless, when they came across it, they would accept it and would give up what they believed rather than the opposite.
4: When they came across the evidence itself, or when they came across someone saying it, uh, it as a premise and an argument for the denial they're skeptical
3: I was thinking, with with with, I mean, it's not that that the person. So so definitely, there's no good argument from evil with the premise. uh, Roe says blah, right? Um, uh, Rather, it's the thing that he says, which he's pointing out to us, which is supposed to be the present. The 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 evidence, the premise.
4: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't have a complete account of what it is to beg the question but I have to say at least shooting from the hip sound, you know, when, you, when you have someone who employs a premise that is you know that either is a denial or, or it, uh, presupposes the denial of another person's conclusion and, and you employ it in an argument in order to convince the person that their conclusion is false it, it's certainly it's circular in some way I think it seems like begging the question but maybe you just want to say that's okay you know, it's it's not a problem, but but but, but you where
3: yeah. for example, the person holds the view And they, they haven't noticed that it has a certain consequence, that's right? Yeah. And you point out to them Look, it has this consequence and they're like, oh gosh, I guess that view was false Um, that's not a question begging kind of argument, right?
4: Hmm I'm not sure No, I'm not sure. Mm. Okay. John?
5: He had his hand up first. Oh, he's already on this.
6: Plus, I'm uh, uh, I'm (laughs) Uh,
5: junior. One thing about Sabres is so you say it's a principle about when you're entitled to take some proposition as evidence for a hypothesis, is that what you're that's, that's the yeah, general gist. That's of, the idea. So I was just yeah. thinking, it's really just coming back to something Sarah said, but you know, suppose that you're, uh, someone has as a hypothesis P, yeah. and I come to know P. Am I? Would you agree that I'm at least then entitled to take P as... That you come to know P? Yeah, series? no, 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 take P as uh, <laughs> as... <laughs> I'd mm-hmm. say, oh, someone's hypothesis is a coffee cup spills. I notice a coffee cup spill. That's it. That decisively shows that you are right. That's, will you agree that that's... Will I agree that you are now entitled to say that the coffee... <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. I'm entitled to take the fact that the coffee cup spilled as confirming the relevant hypothesis. Well, they, you know, it doesn't it could have to be a Some coffee cup spill will yeah. spill yeah. in the room, and I notice like, that one, you know, which is, okay? Okay. okay? Okay, so I think... That, but it, for that to be, once you can see that, to hang on to sabers, you need now the principle that if you, roughly, if you know you're entitled, it's reasonable to think you know.
4: If you know you're entitled, then...
5: What do you think? I, I don't believe, that. my problem with sabers is I don't believe that, I don't believe that principle. Okay. But if, 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 if that principle's wrong, and, and we make the concession you just made, then Sabres has got to be wrong, because then we'll have situations where you know it's not reasonable to think you know, but because you know, you're entitled to take, you know P, you're entitled to take P, as supporting this or that hypothesis, but because you're not entitled to think you know, or entitled to think you're most safe, or it's not, you're not reasonable to think you're most safe, or whatever, I mean, what we act, well, strictly speaking, what you need is if you know you're, it's reasonable to think you're most safe. Where I know you think most safety is only a necessary condition on knowledge, so that's strictly speaking what you need. But unless you have level connections like that, then uh, it, it's not... If, if those level connections aren't right, then Sabres isn't right. Because at least assuming that knowing P is good and puts you in a very strong position to take as so I
4: have strong internalist intuitions with regard to knowledge so that's, that's probably that's why you I find yeah no but that's probably why I find <laughs> sabers so, so appealing right because, because I, don't, I don't see it as a problem to say if you know that P then you're entitled to take
5: yourself to know that P Right. So it's not possible to... yeah. I, I, yeah. So that, that, at least it sets yeah. the scene a bit, because, yeah. I mean, that's what's been... If you're the kind of guy that thinks mm-hmm. that you can know without it being reasonable to believe that you know... Right. Then there's no way... You, I mean, it seems to be there's no... Not no not much... So you, you yeah, need that, that kind of... Yeah. You need that kind of constraint.
4: That's... that's and, well, for one thing, that's what I would deny. But for another... Uh, Entitlement to believe a proposition. Um, yeah, I wasn't thinking in terms of knowledge, because...
8: I
5: mean, it's hard to deny that if you know a coffee... If I know that coffee cup spill, then I'm entitled to take the fact that the coffee cup spill as evidence for the hypothesis that, say, some coffee cup will spill. I just I find it very hard to see... No, actually, I, I, you can make a case, I, I think,
4: because, you know, if you are uh, a sort of externalist about knowledge, you know, where you, you, you have some belief that has been somehow you know, reliably produced or it's, it's, you know, your cognitive mechanisms are working properly, so it's, it's the right kind of belief for the circumstances, so you, you count as knowing. But... You know, the externalist line is precisely to say you don't need to be aware of that, right? You don't need to be aware of what it is that does the supporting. And so it's not necessarily going to be the case that you're entitled to take everything that you know as evidence in support of further hypotheses, because, you know, you might not be aware of why. But if I know the
5: coffee cup spilt, I know that something's happened that, uh, that entails the hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. Well,
4: well, if you know that, you know it, right? Then no, you, then no, no, no.
5: You, no, 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 no. That's not what he said okay. that I said. I okay. said if you know that the coffee cup then you know some proposition that yes. entails the hypothesis of the hypothesis yes. of the coffee cup. Yes. So you're saying that you could know some, you could know that some proposition's true that entails the hypothesis without being entitled to take that proposition as evidence for the hypothesis. Yes. <laughs> yes. Does that sound weird? It's, <laughs>
4: Maybe I, I, it, it, it is weird, it, uh, but, but yes, because uh, d- depending on what go into the conditions of knowledge, this is why I didn't want to cast the thing in terms of knowledge, because I'm not, you know, everyone's got a different account of knowledge, and you're going to end up with with just different conditions that you have to wrangle about. Um, but if you're if you're you know, an externalist about knowledge, about the conditions that make it the case that you know something, uh, you know, you could know something without precisely without knowing that you know it. And so you might not... If well, it's You the know case the hypothesis
5: that... is true now, right?
4: Okay, if you know the hypothesis... Wait, 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 no, 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 you don't A know the hypothesis, hypothesis.
5: is P, you yeah. came yeah, to yeah, know yeah.
4: P. You, so you know that P is true, mm-hmm. but you don't know the consequence of P. You don't know all of the consequences of things right, that you but, know... But right? the hypothesis
5: was P, so you didn't have to do anything <laughs> in my... The hypothesis was that there is some coffee cup that. Yeah, let's just have the coffee cup <laughs> spill, and then I have noticed, yeah. oh, the coffee cup spilled. Yes. So I know. The thing that I know is the hy- is the hypothesis.
4: Okay. Yes.
5: Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe I misunderstood that.
4: I
9: was
5: maybe thinking maybe if, makes if someone makes a hypothesis yeah, P, and of I come to know P, then I'm, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know. Then it's you're pretty- entitled to employ P in further. No, I. It's, it's really weird to think. I'm not entitled to th- think that... You're telling me even though I know P, I'm not entitled to think of P as confirming the hypothesis that P. I mean, I know the hypothesis is true now. I came to know that it's true by knowing P. It's just, I find it hard to get into your frame of mind. Yeah.
2: Well, the
4: the reason I would deny that you you are now entitled to take your knowledge of p as confirming.
5: No, it's it's data, not knowledge. The data is p. Yes. What? But you. No, I don't think I'm understanding the case again. The the data is p. Yeah. The hypothesis was P. I can to know some is data p and the data p. is p. Yeah. And it's just, I was yeah. trying to get the limited case, yeah. of that yeah. seems like a completely awesome you know, <laughs> data for the hypothesis.
4: Yeah, but you ha- yeah, I, I still want to draw a distinction between those things that you know and those things that you are entitled to take what you know because once you say you're taking p as confirming p, p right you, you're now moving up a reflective level right really sure you because there's there's you know having knowledge that p which can be a completely extra. you might not even know you, you might not be in a position to to ever come to know that you know that p maybe you don't
5: have But cons- you don't have to know that you know p you just right. know p. if i know the hypothesis is p and i know p then i know ah I've com- then I know that uh, I know something that decisively settles the but hypothesis. But you just said, I know that, I know something. No, I never, didn't say I know something. Didn't oh, that. I didn't, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. careful not to. Yeah, yeah. I know something that yeah. decisively, I know something that, uh-huh. that dis- I, I know a proposition and, you know, uh-huh. I know that proposition decisively uh, uh-huh. confirms the hypothesis. I never had to know that I know something to do that. Anyways. Do you have follow up okay. No. Any follow-ups?
9: Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So, I was uh, just wondering what you mean by uh, when you say that sabers respects closure. So, one thing you could mean is that it, it merely doesn't entail any violations of closure. But since, since it's a necessary condition, it's not going to do that. Regardless of what it says, um, but I was thinking, well, maybe maybe the thought is that, well, when combined with other natural views, um, it's not going to. We're not going to get failures and closures. I mean, so so for instance, like it looks like there'll be cases where where it can turn out that most of the close possible worlds where I believe P on the basis of D, I have reason to believe that. I have reason to believe that. The same thing for Q, but I don't can't for the conjunction. Um, so because of the, it may be that most, most of them, it may be that most of the successful belief, belief in P worlds and most of the successful belief in Q worlds um, don't add up to most of the belief in P and Q worlds being successful worlds. So it looks like, it looks like combined with natural views, you can get failures of closure. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, so the, fir- the, fir- the first thing is just, yeah, you might, you might just clarify what, what the claim was. So no,
4: the claim simply as a necessary condition is meant to just say it doesn't entail violations of closure, whereas cornea, also a necessary condition, does, right? Uh, because, or at least if you take, if you read it as um, like a sensitivity kind of condition, right, insofar as sensitivity in t- entails violations of closure, uh, cornea does too. Um, but okay, your suggestion that... Sorry? I mean, you might just never
6: know anything, in which case there's no violations of course,
3: You can, you can always... Yeah. There's, there's definitely auxiliary premises in the argument. Yeah,
4: that's true, that's true. But there are almost premises that you can't give up if you want to do the kind of things that a skeptical theist does, which is to say, we know that God exists, uh, you know, but we don't. So you want, to say, you want to say, we know God exists, we know some things about God, And we don't want to violate closure, right? Yeah.
9: Yeah, So so maybe the claim is something like when combined with premises that the theist wants to hold on to, it it doesn't violate closure, unlike this other.
4: Yeah, well, that that, that was the idea that I wanted,
9: yeah. Um, And so I'm still still worried about the, the most bit. So it looks. It looks like when we do combine that with plausible claims, we are going to get violations of closure. So it might be reasonable for me to believe. Yes.
5: Yeah. yeah. Okay.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure what to say to that. I think that's another good objection. Oh boy. I I'll think you meant single
5: premise closure.
4: Well, I might have to retreat to that, but I didn't mean it at first. <laughs> but it OK.
0: So I'm interested in sort of understanding your attitude towards two arguments. I mean, one's a kind of anti-skeptical argument that I think you're going to regard as question-begging. But nevertheless, you might think we have knowledge of the premises and conclusions. So hands, brains and bats don't have hands, so not a brain and bat. And then comparing that to their gratuitous evils If so, there's no God, so no God. And I think you have sort of different attitudes maybe to those two lines of argument. And I'm trying to understand why you think there's a a sort of a difference here. And you pointed to some things like, well, when you're dealing with skeptics, we don't really have much we have to say to them. I mean, we can't say much to say to them, but we're fine with that. But you seem to have a different attitude towards the theists, right? Somehow, like, we have to engage them with reasons in ways we don't engage the skeptics. And I think the thought there is, well... One way to challenge that is to say, well, no, because they're committed to crazy skepticism. I mean, if the thought here is sort of there's these people, we sort of just pen them off because they're dangerous to the epistemic community, because they just, their principles are all wonky, so we ignore them. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand sort of how to maintain this sort of difference, because I sort of, I'm, and I'm sympathetic to this idea, but I mean, right, one way to sort of try to show that they're all crazy skeptics is to say something like, you know, in your initial cornea thing, Like you're supposed to take for granted, right? Like evil exists, that's something we know, you know? So there's lots of stuff we do know about morality. Like Babies matter. Babies matter more than kittens, but kittens matter more than lemons, that kind of stuff. Um, and, And we know things like, you know, when we read the paper, like on, you know, you're on the tube, and like every time you turn the page in the Daily Mail, you're like, someone should have stopped that from happening. Because right? <laughs> that's just sort of what they feed on. Like foxes eat babies, foxes eat kittens, right, as you flip through. And sort of the thought that everyone has as they commute to work. Because like if someone could have stopped that, they should have. So we have these thoughts all the time. And then we also think about nearby cases. We think, yeah, I mean, if a baby falls in a pool, not actually, but you know, uh, someone should have jumped in and saved this. So we have all these kinds of thoughts. And I think, yeah, I mean, we all sort of implicitly take those to be known. But then, you know, obviously, like, <laughs> this becomes a bit problematic about how you're going to say, you know, when I start saying these things, like if someone was in a position to stop this, they should have. Right? I mean, if you're a theist, you, of course, have to say I'm wrong about this. And then, of course, that's going to have implications about all kinds of things I'm wrong about. I mean, so maybe it, maybe it has implications that I'm wrong about sort of my ranking judgments, lemons, kittens. You know, the, the lemons are doing well because they matter, and the kittens are doing terribly because they don't. That would be really shocking. right? Uh, and that would suggest there's sort of widespread ignorance about morality. Or if there's sort of, no, no, that's not, that's not the case. You know, it's, it's infants matter, but the, the, the universe is a Rube Goldberg machine, so anytime anyone sort of <laughs> touches it, millions of unknown infants on the backside of Mars die. I mean, so when you sort of start putting these things in as a way of trying to explain how we could have sort of some moral knowledge, but be in no position to do things like know these if someone could have stopped that they should have and then do inductions like well in lots of cases like this if someone, me, it does start to look like you're going to undermine the there are gratuitous evils thing by just embracing widespread moral skepticism so I'm just sort of and then it just looks like your attitude towards well, we just pen the skeptics off uh, would apply so I'm sort of curious how to sort of maintain a robust sense that we have widespread moral knowledge with your sort of Difference in attitude towards these potential arguments. This one has to be engaged in because it's not crazy skepticism. This one we can ignore because it is crazy skepticism.
4: Uh huh. Yeah. So I like the way you put (laughs) you put that argument. Uh, I think just the reason why I find it more necessary to engage uh, with you know a theist and even a skeptical theist is that you know. There are, there are so few real skeptics you know, about everything, uh, but there are so many real theists, right? So that's one thing. Uh, but just, I mean, just yeah.
0: on that one, but I mean, yeah. real theists here is getting a lot built in, right? Because mm-hmm. I take it a real theist is someone who is not just someone who says, yeah, yeah, yeah God exists. I mean, my mom does that. Mm-hmm. It's someone who's like, God exists. There are no gratuitous evils. All of your views about how there are gratuitous evils are based on these widespread errors. They consistently endorse these things. They live up to their conclusions. There's almost no one like that. I mean, there's about as many uh-huh. people like that. Well, that, the, per- the character I'm describing. Right
7: there
0: are in this room. Uh, yeah, there are, that's right. They're all in this room. We're going <laughs> to pen you off. But I mean, someone is really going to embrace right, the skeptic. Someone's really going to embrace the epistemological implications of saying that, you know, mm-hmm. that you're in no position to say right, that anyone who could have saved this baby should have. Uh, there aren't many people like that. I mean, after all, all but the is people. That, is that
7: just because the number of people who talk about embracing epistemological implications is rather <laughs> few? I mean, I think that the measure of the people who accept that
0: in people who think about epistemological implications is something like, what is that, what, letter, 10%? You, I mean, you could do some fun experimental philosophy on the tube, right, and say, baby got eaten by a fox. Someone should stop that, right? And yeah, they, but say, I mean, they say, yeah. I you like, can have
7: someone believe anything with the right kind of priming. I mean, I, I can turn them into skeptics about the external world in about
0: thirteen seconds. <laughs> well, was so, so <laughs> but I mean, I don't think I don't think you're really in a good position to say we, we, we actually know a lot of these characters. I mean, and I think as soon as people did live up to these conclusions, right? I mean, as soon as on Sundays, we, the the person came to the pulpit, right, and said, "Your views about drowning babies are all totally epistemically irresponsible." Uh, you know, I mean, that's going to have a, that's, I,
4: I think the, the, the membership's going to dwindle. Yeah, but, but okay. that that's a consequence of what, you know, that's what you think a consequence of being a real theist is. All I think it takes to be no, a real no, 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 theist sorry. is... Uh, yeah,
0: what I'm saying is, I, I think real theist is a very broad
4: category, and it doesn't yeah. involve people who have very fine-grained views about, say, gratuitous evil. Oh, yeah, but, but it, it doesn't need to, because the point of the evidential problem of evil is to say, look this is evidence for saying God does not exist, right? Whereas someone who is a real theist, you know, has, in this broad sense is someone who, who says, you know, you, you, once they become reflective about that and say, no, this is not in fact going to be uh, evidence for, for thinking that God exists because I, don't, I suppose God provides for the best or something like that. And so God has done everything that he could, right? I, I think this is a pretty common view that, that, God has done everything he could, can't do everything, uh, or or if not, can't do everything, must permit some evils in order for the greatest goods to happen, right? And so it would take very little to make a theist reflective and and come to that point, I think.
0: Consistent with, at the same time, not being a moral skeptic, a pretty wise Yeah,
4: yeah. I think, and in response to the moral skeptic point, I think... I'm going to say don't quote me, but you'll quote me. Uh, <laughs> I think John Hicks' argument is, is that you draw a distinction between, uh, you know, there, there's a moral community you know, of humans, and there, there are things that human members of this community ought to do, like stop baby drownings and things like that. Um, But the moral obligations of a God figure would be different, right? Because a God figure's uh, obligations are to provide for the best overall, which involve things like not stopping all the baby baby drownings, something like that. So I don't know if that's a satisfying argument, but it's at least a principled way of distinguishing God's obligations from our moral obligations. And so we wouldn't be entailed to widespread moral skepticism about our own moral obligations.
2: Rachel?
1: Um, my question has been addressed. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess I just need a clarification on what sense of possibility we're dealing with when we're
4: talking about possible, possible worlds in this. Yeah, yeah. So when you say, I, I think I'm okay with, with saying it's, just metaphysical, Well, I metaphysical Well, I that
1: might be a warrior, right? Yeah. If God is uh,
4: uh-huh. a contender for a
1: necessary being, uh-huh. how's that going to play out? And if those are going to be epistemically possible worlds, then it, there you're going to have a problem with you know, analyzing mm-hmm. knowledge in terms of safety or having safety being a necessary condition of knowledge on pain of circularity. Mm-hmm. So it looks like there's a bit of a tension between, you know, Either, yeah. either yeah. you have to loosen up on God being a contender for a necessary or a metaphysically necessary being, which seems like giving up on classic tazem, or you're going to have to uh, <laughs> do something to avoid merely epistemic possibility, which doesn't seem happy
4: in the... Uh, mm-hmm. But what I would want to say is we can give up on... on God being metaphysically necessary.
1: I see, so you're happy with this, and so there are metaphysically possible worlds in which. Well, I, mean, yeah, I, sure. I don't know, yeah. I have no idea how, how bad it is. I just I thought that I if, I if God exists, he's about as good a uh, so. candidate of being a necessary
4: being as we can find. Yeah, but maybe there are no necessary yeah. beings, right? And that's okay. And, 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 and you yeah. know. Even if, I, 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 I would want to say, look, even if God exists, surely there are metaphysically possible worlds in which God does not exist. I, I think that's just natural to think, right?
1: I, don't, I, I just thought, I don't know what the standard view on this is. I just thought that the assumption of classic theism is that if God exists, he exists necessarily, which would mean that he exists in all metaphysically possible and I thought that the motivation for that was supposed to be that like, other necessary things depend on God. Uh, so, uh, other if theism is true, right? Yeah. So, this is all supposed to be conditional. Uh, so, I was worried that there might be a tension there between exactly spelling yeah. on what, what notion of possibility is. Um, yeah, okay.
3: Just for the setup here, I thought that the relevant assumption would be supposing theism is false. Uh, then does gratuitous evil, uh, you know, put you in a position to know that it's false, right? No and so, um, and and so, I mean, it's the, this issue of contingency still comes up if you think that you know it's necessary that if there's a God, then God necessarily exists. If you, if you think that, then you still have the problem that if theism is false, then it's necessarily false. But that's maybe maybe a little maybe it's a little more
4: negotiable with that uh, than like. That's
1: that's very cool. Well, that's
4: true. <laughs> OK, so if, if theism is false, right, are you in a position to know E2? I guess that's the question. Um, that's the question on cornea and on a sensitivity analysis. I'm not sure about... because, because the, the question is going to be if it appears that there are gratuitous evils, are there, in fact, gratuitous evils? And so that's kind of the flip, right? It's not going to be. So, so definitely,
3: I mean, if we're look, looking at safety yeah. here in terms of metaphysically possible worlds and stuff, yeah. right, It's well, I guess more generally, right? if Definitely the argument doesn't put me in a position to know uh, that theism is false if theism is true. Right. Well, OK. Right? That's so, so. Just, yeah. Uh, So I was thinking we like for this kind of argument, we assume it's false and then see uh, See whether this argument uh, would like I mean if we're about So I guess the the issue is there's two things we do with arguments One is decide whether to be convinced by them Mm -hmm. and another is kind of do epistemic evaluation of the argument So, you know look at somebody who's accepting atheism on the grounds of this argument. Are they doing things right? Mm -hmm. Um, if that's what we're doing then it seems like the, the right frame for that is supposing that they got the right answer. Did they get it in a good way?
1: So you did get that, you know, You know, it's, it's, if you suppose that TASM is false, then
4: it's also necessarily false, right?
1: Yeah. Do, this, do right. So, so you, you still stuff. have a little bit of a. Yeah,
4: that's right. <coughs> but but I, I wouldn't accept that what we're doing is just trying to. I mean, it, so that's one thing we can do, is, is just see whether the atheist is doing something OK in accepting the argument. But what I think is more important is seeing whether the atheist has anything to say to the theist, right? By way of providing a convincing argument. Okay,
3: but, the, but then a ton of other considerations are going to be relevant, like what other theist, what other evidence this theist has, right? So if we're, I mean, if, suppose they know that God exists because, like, I don't know, God told them so. Um,
9: <laughs> you
3: can trust uh, him; he's a reliable guy. Right. Then then look, it doesn't look like this kind of this
4: kind of argument is going to cut much ice. but that's that's the skeptical theist's answer is that look we've we've got other arguments we've got arguments for thinking that God exists and you know your argument against me for thinking that God doesn't exist it presupposes that I have to accept already that God doesn't exist in order to accept your argument so I'm not going to do it that's that's the skeptical theist line right
5: it's like, I mean, the sceptical theists in the literature have been much more ambitious than you're saying. They've been saying that atheists can't even, in an atheist world, come to know that there's God through evil. Forget whether in the atheist world they'd, com- they'd, they'd be able to convince dogmatic theists in that world. Their view is, in an atheist world, that the, the evil isn't a route to knowledge of atheism. <laughs> it seems to me, I mean, that is what they've been saying and And it is a very separate thing to just say, oh yeah, in an atheist world you can know there's no God, of course the dogmatic theists like me would be unmoved because of the dialectical situation, I mean that would be very different to what's actually going on in the literature under the heading skeptical theism okay,
4: okay, so maybe I'm misrepresenting what skeptical theists are after but it's okay for, maybe not to be misrepresenting but for me to be uh, going for this more modest proposal yeah. because, you know, a skeptical theist or like a cornea type of skeptical theist is going to say, look, the appearance of gratuitous evils is not evidence for anyone, right, to accept that, that uh, there are gratuitous evils, right, because it's not sensitive. Um, but if you're going to take this, this safety route instead, it's, it's like an agent relativized, safety of being entitled to take data as, as evidence for a hypothesis, right? Um, all that this principle aims to do is to say someone who thinks that there are, or maybe I should say a stronger claim, maybe someone who, who is entitled to think that there are uh, close God-occupied possible worlds is not going to be entitled to take the appearance of gratuitous evils for the, as confirming evidence for the existence of gratuitous evils. Um, so, yeah, maybe, okay, so it fails, it fails to show that the atheist has no confirming evidence, uh, has, has, hasn't got a good argument on, on their own terms. But the principle, if correct, would show that the atheist has nothing to say on the topic of, of gratuitous evils, at least, to the theist, right? Yeah, that's the goal.
10: OK. OK, Danny? Um, this is a terrificatory question about your saver's principle. It seems as if you were saying, well, look, the gratuitous evil is misleading evidence. So Let's find another principle such that we can... Um, gain a principle to rule out misleading evidence. Um, and um, then you have your principle, but then I was wondering what your principle says in cases where you're in, you're, you're in fake bond country, you're unaware you're in fake bond country and you're looking at a fake bond. Um, and what it says there, it seems that you are reasonable to believe on that basis that in all close world, most post, uh, possible worlds there is, it's going to be true. That here's yeah. going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it is mis- misleading evidence. Or is it not yeah. misleading evidence? Then, here's another case. Um, suppose you want a bicycle for your birthday. Uh, your father knows that, he buys the bicycle. But then you pray to God, I want a bicycle. And then on your birthday, you get a bike. You're not aware, you know, so the idea is, Oh, on that basis, it seems that I should believe that in most close worlds in which I pray for the bike, I get the bike. Which again, it seems like it's misleading evidence that the prayer was the thing that got you the bike. I mean, the, your dad bought the bike before you even prayed. So, to speak. Um, so it seems like it's not ruling, it's not, there's going to be plenty of other cases, unless I've misunderstood what was going on, you know, there's going to be plenty of other mis- cases where misleading evidence, you know, slips back into the um, question.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with saying that misleading evidence, you know, and so you're not aware that it's misleading, it is evidence that you're entitled to take to support a hypothesis, right? In the praying case where you've got the bike, I mean, I don't know, it's going to depend on what other, what other facts of the case, you know, how you're going to fill that in. Um, in fake Barn County... I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't be entitled to take the visual appearance as of a barn as evidence for it being a real barn, because you know, so far as you know, in all close possible worlds, you know, there isn't even a real barn. Oh, sorry, a fake barn county. Right?
10: You know, it's just like sometimes you seem to be, you know, you seem to deny that the atheists can. You know, take on this misleading evidence.
4: Sorry, I seem to. So you
10: you want to deny that atheists can take on misleading evidence, but here you want to permit taking on misleading evidence. I mean, is there is there like a principal distinction of when you're entitled or not entitled to take on misleading evidence?
4: So what I don't do, I don't want to do, is say going back to this we were discussing a minute ago, I, I don't mean the Saber's principle to show that the atheist isn't entitled to think that you know the, the existence of gratuitous evils is... No, I don't want to say the atheist is not entitled to take the appearance of the existence of gratuitous evils as evidence for the existence of gratuitous evils. The point is that... It will be question begging for the atheist to use that in an argument against the theist, right? Because the theist isn't entitled to take it to be the case that there are uh, gratuitous evils just on the basis of the appearance of gratuitous evils, right? So, so I want to let in misleading evidence, right? In in both cases. Yeah.
3: Okay, Brian. Oh, so I mean.
6: Maybe set aside the question of whether you can come to know that God doesn't exist on the basis of evil. It seems like uh, so the premise E1 uh, should at least confirm the claim that God doesn't exist, right? I mean, do you grant that in the incremental sense, right? I mean, it seems like it's got to raise your probability that God doesn't exist.
4: Well, if it does, then it's already doing the job that the inference to E2 was supposed to do, and and if if you want to say E1 confirms the non-existence of God, then what the skeptical theist move is going to be is is to deny that it appears that there are gratuitous evils in any epistemically loaded sense of appears.
6: I mean, I mean, why does it have to be epistemically loaded? I mean, it's just like like I, yeah. I mean, in the same yeah. sense, it, it seems to me that there's uh, a chair. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that there's gratuitous evil. I mean. Yeah, I just don't like I, it seems like e, E1 ha, like has got to confirm E2 star. Um and it's yeah it's gotta I mean it's also gotta confirm uh well E E4 star. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean like the like the appearance of, so, so like, of instances just... of gratuitous evil is much more probable given atheism than given
4: theism, right? Well that's what the skeptical theist denies. I mean that, that it's more probable given atheism than given theism. Really? I mean I, th- I would think on, on atheism, like you would totally expect
6: there to be gratuitous evil. Um yeah. but on theism you'd think like, well, you know, like it's compatible with the existence of God that there's gratuitous evil, but like you wouldn't expect it. I mean or, or like or you wouldn't expect it to the same degree. Like you'd think oh, you know, maybe it's you know, maybe it's like fifty fifty whether the whether God would like give rise to gratuitous evil. But like on, on atheism you'd think, like yeah, extremely likely, provided I mean Provided, like you think, you know, at least holding fixed that, that sentient beings exist, you'd think like, yeah, given an atheism, totally to be expected that there'd be gratuitous evil. Um, so it seems like you've got a situation where, like the, the atheist hypothesis, much better predicts the data of the appearance of instances of gratuitous evil than the theistic hypothesis. I mean, of course, there's a there's a more fine-grained theistic hypothesis, which is like that there's a god who likes appearances of gratuitous evil, and uh, you know, yeah. it doesn't maybe disconfirm. Actually, the appearance of evil would, would confirm that more fine grain hypothesis. But that should that more fine grain hypothesis should have lower priors than just theism, right? Um, I mean, it's, it has to because it's logically stronger. Um,
4: yeah. Yeah.
6: So if you started out like 50-50 on whether like atheism or theism was right, um it seems like E1 should tip you to above 0.5 fit th- atheism. Yeah, maybe so, but, uh, but I mean it was the setting aside whether he gets to full
4: belief or knowledge or something. So do we get to start with a fifty-fifty theism I atheism? Mean, I mean it seems like <laughs> that, <laughs> that should
6: be at well, the well, best for well. the theist gets. Yeah. Um, okay. but uh
4: Uh, I don't think, no, I don't think I'd be happy with that starting point. At least not, again, not in an argument with a skeptical theist, right? Because they want to say, look, we have arguments for thinking that God exists, right? And these make it probable that God does exist.
6: Okay, yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, I was kind of thinking, like, okay, if, 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 uh, Hmm. if evil is, like, all we're going on, right? I mean, because then, then if... Yeah, I mean, I think on balance, like, originally thinking like, yeah, this is like one of the many things that gets thrown into the pot mm-hmm. for like whether God exists. Um, but the question is just like setting setting all the other ones aside. Does this at least mm-hmm.
1: somewhat disconfirm? Oh, I don't I I think some some of the issues. Yet are complicated by the fact that gratuitous evils are defined differently by different authors and the way you define them on the bottom of page two of your paper which do not lead to any existence of any very great goods, or any goods at all for that matter, such evil forces second famous, God will not have any justifying reasons for permitting them to this. Someone might try and separate those two and say, well, if God's not obliged to be a value maximiser, then he might be. Uh, not have any, uh, so he might um, have justifying reasons for permitting because he's not obliged not to do it. Even though they're gratuitous in the sense you've just, just defined, there are theists who sort of, you know, think, yeah, God's existence is compatible with gratuitous evils, van in and Hasker myself, and hence won't think whether this, this, that, that it is quite as simple even if you would want the protect It is the picture, it's not. See,
6: yeah, but things I mean... Uh, are compatible. Okay, but I mean, suppose, suppose you think, like, okay, if theism is true, 50-50, whether God would, like, be a value maximizer or not, or something like that. But, like, you think athe- if atheism okay, is true, I'm like... I'm not aware like of like who holds that view. <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, like, okay, it's, it's just suppose, right? Like, I suppose at least you don't think it's much more likely that if God, there's a God, you wouldn't be a value maximizer, right? You don't think it's much more... I mean, I think uh, the thing is just on, on atheism, like E1 is going to be extremely probable given the truth of atheism, whereas I don't think it's going to be extremely probable given the truth of theism.
5: Um, Brian, is, I think depends on the is this an to argument today, over yeah. what the prior should be, or is this an argument over what the conditional probability mm-hmm. should be?
6: Conditional probabilities of the data given the various hypotheses, yeah.
7: OK, um, if it isn't more than one half, even if, um, but if it's around one half, if these gratuitous evils are around one half conditional on God, even if gratuitous evils are certain or just entailed by the absence of God, the existence of gratuitous evils would be fairly weak evidence. I mean, the, the ratio of likelihood ratios would just be two. So Sorry, if, wait,
6: uh, wait, you're saying just, what was the so point if, 0.5 thing? So
7: if gratuitous evils are point 0.5 if there is a God, so that's okay, the, the conditional a, probability. Yeah. But it's one, it's yeah. certain if right. there isn't a God. Right then you see some gratuitous evils, and your credence in God should go down a bit. Yeah. But it's not. It's not going to be a big. you I mean. no, I'm no, no, evidence. <laughs> I'm claiming just
6: it is incremental evidence. Yeah. So that was. All. Sure. Sure. As far as that
7: goes,
5: it's yeah. All, all you need is any like
6: right. right. And yeah. that's
5: yeah. I think that you, yeah. I, I mean, are you going for the view that no fact of the natural world is evidence for atheism? I and mean is that your frame of mind? To, to, be, I mean it does seems yeah, mad yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like yeah. uh, to, to me that view because it seems that there are obviously facts about the yeah. natural world that are evidence for theism yeah. and then you have to think the negation of those are evidence the other way to be probabilistic like yeah. if a yeah. if, if if, if, yeah. tidal waves start you know steering away from every time there's a tidal wave it takes a, you know yeah. steers away from okay. human populations I mean I'm yeah, sure you'd think that's evidence
1: yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. for theism, so you have to think the negation of it is yeah. evidence for atheism. I'm not saying it's good evidence, but it's—I uh, I can't. I mean, it's very hard to think uh, that. Yeah. You, yeah. Okay. You can't kind of, ha- you know. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. You see what yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. I mean? So, I mean, that doesn't settle how you know how big evidence, but it doesn't seem mm-hmm. promising to think. Facts about the natural world aren't evidence for. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions?
4: If not, then we'll think
2: our speaker.